0: Listening to Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Real Conversations is sponsored by Boys Town, saving children, healing families for over 100 years. Now, I was literally just at Boys Town yesterday in Nebraska. And, folks, I have to tell you, I'm so inspired every single time that I'm there. The amazing works that Boys Town does for their youth. And they are seriously changing lives every day. Please go to boystown.org to help change some youngsters' lives. Now, RCJY is also sponsored by Lane Frostbrand, made for the champion in you. Now, be sure to use Jacob15 to save on anything and everything. Lane Frostbrand. Now, my guest this week is someone you all know. He started acting at a young age. He's a singer-songwriter, a producer, but on screen... You'll recognize him from his youth and rookie of the year. He's played roles that range from Frank Sinatra Jr. and Stealing Sinatra to Walt Disney and Walt Before Mickey and Abby Hoffman in Chicago Eight. He became a pop culture phenomenon as the character Kevin Myers in the iconic American Pie franchise. He's also a very talented singer songwriter. He's got a brand new single out that just dropped July 9th called 1999. That is super fun. And might I say nostalgic. We're all going to be talking about that and a lot more because my guest this week is Kevin Myers himself, Thomas Ian Nicholas, you know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with real conversations.
1: Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'll I'll also uh, throw in a little, uh, just for fun. roll roll
0: <laughs> Yes, dude. Nice. Well, dude, I have to tell you, and this is a true story because you and I are the pretty much the same age. You just haven't had a, a birthday. So happy birthday. Um, I, uh, I was born in 79. You're born in 80. You're 42. I'm 43. I watched you grow up. You grew up on my screen in front of me. And I have to say, honestly, when I saw you in Rookie of the Year, it made me want to become an actor.
1: No way. Yeah, because where I... S- were you, where were you living at the time? I was in
0: Washington State, living in the boondocks, like way up. Three sides of the property is Warehouser, which is a big logging you know, company. Um, and just, you know, I, my dad's got acres out there, acres of land, you know. And I don't know. I, j- I mean, you know, I had very few movie going to the movie experiences. So most everything was like, you know, when, when it came on or whatever, but I'll tell you, like, I remember like any kid that was like my age, cause I was already had that ambition going. Anybody was my age and they were doing it. I was like, wow, that is awesome. And, um, that, I remember I love, that moment. I love
1: that. I, I love that you saw the movie and it made you want to be an actor, not a baseball player.
0: Oh, no, forget about the baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew I wasn't that great at baseball.
1: I mean, I'm pretty much as good at baseball as Henry Brogan Gardner is without the magic arm. So (laughs) it tells you anything.
0: Well, brother, um, I have to say, first of all, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, Now, literally, the entire world knows you as Kevin in the coming of age American pie franchise. Now, in real life, real life, Tom, what were your own teenage
1: years like for you? I mean, you, you saw them, <laughs> I, you know, I started, I started acting when I was six. Um, so, you know, I pretty much lived, I, I've got my, my, I guess my own photo book is live action starting with, you know, going from rookie of the year through a King Arthur's court and the, the, the sequel, the lesser known sequel, that's not as good. And then, uh, <laughs> and then American pie. So, you know, that was the, probably the closest thing that I ever experienced to high school was those films. Cause I was already like in professional school, only going three hours a day, if even.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, let's, let's talk about that for a second, because you know, I, I mean, I started when I was 17 I wasn't quite as, as, as young as you were, but you were in school. I mean, well, I had was 17 turning 18 when I got my first contract and how was that? Cause with our audience members, they don't know like what, like, set school is like, how was that for you to like to be educated on set?
1: You know, the weird, I mean, I had a good experience. I had some good, really good teachers on set, some that I'm still friends with. Um, and the thing about it is what became difficult was trying to keep up with regular school while doing set school. And the main reason, and this is going to sound very clinical, is that when you go to set school, you've only got three hours a day, but the teacher is making you do every single assignment that's in the book. And, and the teachers at regular school don't plan ahead, but they skip stuff. So inevitably, no matter how hard I worked, I always was behind schedule when I would come back to school. So by the time I got to high school, I just joined a professional school. So I would have my whole year's curriculum and that would stop happening every time I worked.
0: Why do they do that?
1: Well, it's just that, you know, a regular teacher doesn't plan out their whole year ahead of time. And they may skip a lesson if they feel like the class understands it or skip like a pop quiz or whatever. But a set teacher is just like, here's your work. Do your work. Go (laughs) do it. Do it. Good. (laughs) Yes. Do it. Do it well. well. And, And sometimes do it in 20 minute increments.
0: Wow. Wow. No, I mean, that, I mean, that was one thing when I first started, they're like, how long is it going to be till you're 18? It's like, they didn't even want to have to deal with that, but like kudos, man. And I, I know like, cause I've had children that, you know, have played my kids on TV and you know, they, they have to jam that stuff in before they head to set. And then they have to yeah. keep their lines straight on top of that.
1: Well, when I was 16, I actually took my, got my diploma just so that I could work longer hours as an actor.
0: <laughs> so you're like, I'm officially graduated. So I can actually, yeah. So, so was that, is that a clause that's in the union that if you yeah, graduate, I
1: mean, if you, if you have your, you don't even have to be like necessarily emancipated to do that. It just increases your hours if you're 16 and have a diploma.
0: Your parents are like, you're going to work longer, harder and make more money.
1: No, that was just me. That was me. I, I didn't really school was never really my forte. I I just used use my my uh, my skill set of memorizing dialogue to memorize the answers for school. So I wasn't necessarily learning anything. I was just kind of going through the procedure, so to speak. Yeah. And I just wanted to work more jobs, and a lot of times I would lose out as I, especially as I got to sixteen, because yeah. then you start to like delve into that that time period where. 20 year olds are playing 16 year olds.
0: Right. There's that, that sort of gray area of that aging process that happens.
1: Yeah. So I was just trying to like, not miss out on jobs. That's, that's really my thing, man. I just love to work.
0: That's amazing. That that it's absolutely, I mean, it says so much. And that's the reason why you have such a body of work over these, you know so many years. Um, when was that defining moment for you when you go, I'm going to be an actor.
1: Man, it, it, well, it it was in stages. There was never really a moment of like, you know, me saying those words in particular or kind of going like, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to do forever. I know that now, but there were, there were stepping stones and moments that I thought that I kind of shied away from it moments. I thought I was going to quit, um, you know, all those things. But I mean, my first experience when I was six years old was being on set. And that's the thing that I, I still love to this day. That's my favorite part of the process. And that was when uh, I asked my mom, like, oh, I got that experience because of her. And I said, Mom, I want to do that again. And so then she let me have that experience again on another independent film. She was a casting director, uh, casting atmosphere. So I was playing like, you know, just the background parts. But I just loved the energy on set and, and it, being a kid surrounded by adults because I was more mature then. Than I am now. <laughs> I, this is this is par for the course because last night my kid's mom was yelling at the kids and me to turn off video games because it was time for bed. <laughs> Just five more minutes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man! In in uh, stealing Sinatra, you played Frank Junior in the story about his kidnapping as a young man. In researching that role, what did you learn about their father-son dynamic?
1: Um, I learned a lot. There was also a very interesting correlation because my grandfather on my dad's side was a stand-up comedian. He used to open up for Frank Senior and Frank Junior. Nice. Um, so I had a, like a, a very interesting, uh, you know, attachment to, to that person. But yeah, I learned, I learned so much that that's the thing. When you're playing a character that already exists, especially one that's in that era, all you have to do is research everything about them to find out all the things that you would create as an actor, if you're playing a fictitious character. Mm-hmm. So it's already written for you. You know, you want to find out that dynamic and how, you know, Frank Jr. didn't feel like he was achieving what, you know, he he wanted to do an emulation of his father and, 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 and living up to the Sinatra name. And, and then I read about all these like dark days and depression that he went through in his youth and his, and his dad was like, maybe trying to help him, but obviously not really there. Cause he was, a you know, a busy, famous musician.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean like Hunter Biden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, the apple, you know, only falls so far from the tree and then some of it just goes to wasteland. But no, but no, but Frank, Frank Jr., obviously very successful, has, you know, has Vegas acts and and great singer and truthfully is a great artist in his own right. And he definitely. But that has to be a very that's a hard act to follow.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the the cool the cool thing for me is I know there was a lot for the story. For those of you that aren't familiar with the story, it's about the 1963 kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr., which when they caught the kidnappers, there was a whole court thing where they were trying to prove that it was fabricated. That it was a publicity stunt. And and that that sort of stigma hung over him for years, because even though it the court, you know, was it, it was in his favor. No one ever really believed it because the media was like, oh, it was a publicity stunt. It was a fake kidnapping. But in my research, I I knew that it was real. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I protected that that portion of it for him. So I got to meet Frank Jr. after that film. Oh, that's great. And He invited me to a show in Vegas, some backstage. And I said, you know, uh, Mr. Sinatra, I just want to let you know that I protected the the traumatic uh, you know, experience that you had, I didn't play the the comedy of it. I protected, you know, what it, what it meant to you. I know you didn't want this film to be made because he didn't. Sure. Uh, Especially one of the kidnappers was even trying to make his own version of the film. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. That is crazy. His response to me was he recited one of my grandfather's jokes to me. And that let me know that we were cool. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, that's, that's great, man. You know, that that speaks volumes too um, about your own character, of course, and, 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 and just knowing the story, the backstory, it's our, it's our jobs as artists to really delve in and do the research. And, uh, that's so great that, you know, you you took that approach to it. I'm sure that he was very thankful of that too. You know, I mean, like, look, there's been some of those things that have happened in the past, right? There's uh, I'm trying to think of a, a few very famous people. There's been like kidnappings or fake kidnappings in the past that they've tried to get, you know, collect some sort of money from. And, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a reason why society goes, Oh, that's, that, that's not real. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's make-believe because he's living in his father's shadow. Um, but that's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Now you're, you, speaking of singing, you're also an actor and a singer. How do each of these talents help to fulfill you artistically?
1: Um, you know, I mean, I, I, just like to stay in the creative space, and whatever that is, whether it's, you know, writing music or producing a film or acting in a film, uh, all those things, I just like to stay in the creative space. It's what kind of drives me forward. And I'm a big, um, I'm a big believer in putting out, um, a little bit of goodness in that, not saying that nothing, you know, that there won't be any, like, you know, dark seedy storylines or anything in my characters or underbelly or, or delving into that. But, but for a purpose, for a a better purpose, just, just thinking that there's enough negativity in the world and there there always has been, and there always will be. So I just try to do my part and uh, and create as much positivity as I can.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because there's so many people I've talked to about you because you were coming on the podcast And I have to say over and over unanimously, everybody's like, he's such a nice guy.
1: That's, uh, you know, that's my MO. I'm the, I'm the nice guy.
0: (laughs) Well, I can absolutely tell. And we have never met before this, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but, uh, I could definitely, uh, I could definitely hang out with you, man. You got such a great, great energy about you. Um, I know you have some new music that's out right now. Uh, Please tell our audience about the new single 1999 and how that all came about.
1: Um, Yeah, with with pleasure. Uh, 1999 is is my latest offering. Um, This one, however, is the first time. Well, maybe not the first time, but the most complete idea that I've ever done of a parody, so to speak but it's, I might be the only artist that's ever done a parody of a band with the support of the band that I'm doing the parody of. And, and to explain 1999 is a parody of Bowling for Stoops, big hit song, 1985, that they wrote with sr 71. Um, but Jarrett Reddick, the lead singer and I were doing a movie podcast. He has several podcasts. He has one called Jarrett goes to the movies. Mm-hmm. So we did one for American pie in December of last year. When we met at the podcast, we became, we kind of like, like this, but we were in person. So I'm sure it would happen to us, Jacob, if we were. We wouldn't get anything done. Right. (laughs) We're just having fun. So like Jared and I just like, like connected instantly, became like Insta best friends. Um, After the movie, we're having all the nostalgic feels of having watched American Pie. And so we're playing a show. He sings 1985 and he jokingly says, Because if you've seen Bowling for Soup, they're a really fun band. Yeah, Lots of bits in between their songs. He jokingly says, you know, we should sing lyrics about American Pie instead. So we tried it and failed miserably because we maybe had one or ten too many beers during the podcast. (laughs) But um, afterward, I kind of took that to heart. I thought, that's a really good idea. So I texted all these lyrics to Jarrett the next day. And he goes, Oh, that's really funny. We should make a TikTok video. So it kind of just stayed there. Cut to end of January. I'm in Baltimore doing a charity event showing rookie of the year, uh, to raise money for the leukemia and lymphoma society. I land in Baltimore and I get a text from Jared. He goes, Hey man, are you in Baltimore? I'm like, yeah, are you in Baltimore? Like why are you randomly <laughs> texting me? I look at his schedule. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow night? I'm like, Hey, do you need a uh, surprise opener? Maybe, lol. (laughs) Just in case, (laughs) no. Just
0: putting it out there. Nudge, nudge. Yeah,
1: I I was just kidding. That was just a joke. So he said yes because he's just an amazingly nice guy. He's going to let me open up for him and his uh, bass player Rob at this acoustic show in Maryland. So I get so jazzed. I go on TikTok and I record my best version of 1999 with my only my lyrics. It gets half a million views. And Jared's like, come to Dallas. Let's punch up the lyrics. You're going to record in my studio and Bowling for Soup's going to back you up. And I'm like, is this real life? Is this really happening? And here we are. Yeah. The song is out and, uh, and it's hilarious and has all the feels. It's, it's basically the story of American Pie characters, the whole, the whole movie, in three minutes.
0: Yeah, I've seen the TikTok. Also, by the way, it's awesome, and everybody, you got to go check it out. It's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. The lyrics are are great, and um, and speaking you because you've written a lot of music over the years, or, or you you have several songs you've released. Do you have a writing process?
1: Um, I mean, I do like to collab. So out of I'm currently my seventh album is actually going to be a complete collaboration album. Um, I re- I wrote a new song with Jarrett Reddick. Uh, one of my favorite songs that will be on that album. I wrote, I've written a song with a Sanders from the early November and I will be writing with Tom Higginson from the plain white tees. Nice. Uh, the band lit my best friend, Matt Kennedy and AJ Perdomo in the dangerous summer. That's the, at least the first five. Um, nice. In the past, you know, usually I start with just a like cool riff. If I can remember the riff without having to record it, then it's cool enough to be a song. Uh, And from there, the melody will kind of at least present itself. And then the vibe brings the lyrics and then that kind of hoists itself into the chorus. The current album though, like Jarrett and Ace, both were like, yeah, listen, we can write a song, but what are we going to say? And that's where it started with, was just with a conversation, right? A a quote unquote, and this is going to be my total dad joke vibe coming out. A total real conversation Jacob,
0: (laughs) a real conversation, like with real (laughs) conversations with Jacob Young, kind of real conversation.
1: That's kind of real conversation. (laughs) Sorry, I I got dad jokes all day long.
0: I love the dad jokes. I love them. I got a friend. He's got a podcast called Dadcast, and that's all they talk about is like dad jokes and dad problems. And
1: yes, I that is in my queue of. You actually jumped in front of them. They're in my queue of like podcasts that I'm supposed to do. I have a draft email saying. Hey, let's schedule it. So uh, when you talk to your friend, tell him I will be emailing soon. Yeah. But, you know, you came through with uh, from Bobby, who I work with. Yeah, I love Bobby. And, uh, you you jumped the line. So you you got ahead of dad. Test.
0: Well, awesome. Well, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to rub that in their faces. Thank God. <laughs> no, I love Bobby. Bobby's great, man. And he has nothing but he sings your praises. And uh, and so I'm glad we were able to connect through him.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome. Well, I just did something fun. Uh, for him, he had, a like, a, a kid that was on his son's baseball team that he wanted to do something cool for. I shot him a little video, and then I happened to be in Chicago, and he brought me out, got me a show in Delaware, but I surprised this kid at his birthday party. Oh, no doubt. And randomly, not he had no idea I was going to be there. He wore a Cubs jersey to his birthday party, like a Chris Bryant Cubs jersey. Yeah. And then there I was surprising him, and it was It was really cool. Bobby. Bobby's a good guy, too. He does some good things for the community.
0: Yeah, he does. Now, one of your earlier songs, which I just I love the title. Heroes are human. Who have been some of your human heroes?
1: Uh, You know, that song. I know that a lot of uh, a lot of service people have gravitated toward it. And even when we did the tour with Navy Entertainment and got to go to, to Guantanamo Bay, Italy, Bahrain and Djibouti to play at different naval bases. Um, you know, that song I always dedicated to the troops because it does sort of speak of, you know, their service of being heroes, even though they are only human. I technically wrote the song about my cousin. Um, my cousin was who, um, I learned how to write music from. He was a a big proponent in, in, in my faith life. Um, and you know, someone that I think about, even though he's, well, there's, there's this other element as well. MS kind of took him out in about seven years. Mm. And I know each case is different. Not a lot of people know a lot about MS. And I finally just started working with the MS society and my newest film that we just, you're talking about your film and you just got like a deal put together. I also did the same thing, uh, at least in development. We got a development deal nice. the other day. Congrats. And, Thank you. Yeah. The main character is going to have, uh, MS. Um, and we're, we're not doing it to tell the story of MS, but just to raise awareness about the disease so that people go, huh, what is that? And look into it. And, and then, you know, kind of just raising awareness is, is key. I mean, 20 years ago, people were like, what's cancer right now? You know, we have Laura Linney starring in a TV show a few years ago where the main character is cancer, C word. You know? Yeah, exactly. The C word.
0: Yeah. No multiple sclerosis. Uh, my father has MS and um, it's a neurological disease that they have no idea how it happens, why it happens, how long it stays. Most of the time it takes people to the end of their life. Other people live with it the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's a uh, remission.
1: Is common. Each, each case is 100% unique. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's crazy. Well, I'm sorry to hear that your your dad, uh, you know, it has MS. I he's he's lived with it since he was
0: 25. He still a, wow. Yeah, he's he's one of those. You know, he just happens to be one of those people that have a rare case. He has numbness from the shoulders to his fingertips. It's not coming from the legs and doesn't affect his ability to walk. But you know, like grabbing things are kind of a obstacle sometimes. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I've also had friends, parents, mothers who have passed away from it. So it's, it's a very debilitating disease. And, um, that's great, man. And and the more awareness that people can bring to it, hopefully we'll start finding some new remedies or at least to maybe get closer to a cure. And I have to say also, like I was a big proponent. F- uh, I, I was friends with Jerry Lewis to the, like the very end. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, for muscular dystrophy, so many times muscular dystrophy is confused for MS. And that was something that was happening. It was being misdiagnosed back and forth. Um, and, um, but because of Jerry's work, there's been leaps and bounds in MS. And of course, muscular dystrophy where people only had years to live, were living, you know, well into their forties and (coughs) fifties.
1: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: you're getting choked up. I can tell. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it, it,
1: it, it, it's uh, it's crazy because, um, you know, I mean, we're talking. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of my uh, my friend Stuby, who's uh, the lead singer of the Lucky Boys Confusion, who has uh, MS. We just opened up for them um, recently in Chicago, but he's saying that they they've made some some new advancements, and they're maybe about you know they're still probably like five years away from using uh, RMDNA or R-R-M-D-R- whatever the new, like the same technology for the vaccine, for COVID vaccine. Right. And they're, they're putting toward it, they're making they're utilizing that to make advancements in leukemia and MS. So I think we're going to start to see some really cool things in the next five to 10 years um, to, toward, you know, kind of figuring out those diseases and, and making life better for those people that are suffering from it.
0: Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, I was. Uh, I got to know. Oddly enough, it it was just because of some mutual friends while I was working in New York City on all my children at that time. And uh, Montel Williams had done a an episode or two or something, a little arc on the show. And of course, you know, everybody knows. You know, Montel Williams also has multiple sclerosis, um, MS. And um, you know, we, we he'd hit me up and be like, "Hey, man, you want to you want to hang out?" And I'm like yeah, sure, man. I'll I'll go hang out with you. Where are you going tonight? And then he always had like before like anything like THC and like, you know, any kind of marijuana was legalized in California. He always had like medical, like Snickers bars that had, uh, this stuff he's like, just, just pull something out of the goodie bag. I'm like, that's a pretty big Snicker bar. I mean, how, uh, <laughs> how am I going to feel if I eat that? He's going to be like, you're great. You're going to be great. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, there's been like lots of leaps and bounds with that too. Obviously, you know, there's, uh, there's a great deal of, uh, um, even in a micro dosing scenario that does help ease symptoms of the, uh, Of MS. So, but that was just a kind of a random
1: story. I don't know why I'm even saying that, but, uh, uh, because, you know, we're talking, we're talking about MS and obviously like, you know, we both have, uh, you know, unique experiences and knowing people that are, you know, that have that, which I, it's not often that I even meet someone that, you know, doesn't ask me, wait, what's that?
0: Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I've known it, you know, ever since I was a kid and, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's tough and, but it's great. Kudos brother. Keep, keep up the great work and anything you, you ever want uh, me to help push. I'll be there for you with that. A hundred percent.
1: Amazing. Thank you.
0: You've achieved so much in your career so far. If there's anything that's on your to-do list, Tom, what would you like to tackle?
1: (laughs) You know, for a long time, uh, I really I really as a, as a musician, I wanted to have a, a record deal um, and, you know, kind of like break through the the, the ceiling, so to speak. And and I I've, I've sort of realized at this stage of my career now that I've played for mentoring for 10 years um, that there's already there is a lot that I've achieved. I have 800 shows under my belt. I'm working on album seven, which even though it's really 10, cause I destroyed all copies of the first three. Um, cause they call that school. Uh, and I, I'm just sort of at the point now where the only thing I really want is just sustainability to, to be able to provide for my family and to keep enjoying the journey of creation. And it's not so much that I don't want to achieve great things. It's just that I just want to keep creating quality things. Yeah. And so I'm not so concerned with what I achieve anymore in, in, in my forties now that I'm such an old man, Uh, not to say that we're old or anything, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a, it's a different, it's a different idea than when we were in our twenties and what we like, what we, what we saw like, Oh, each step gets greater and I'm going to be bigger and better and better. And then when you have kids, you're like, Oh, this is way more important than all that stuff that I was doing. So now I just want the one thing to achieve is sustainability Mm -hmm. and, you know, a schedule that allows me to, uh, be a dad. It's a little crazy this summer now that we're back from COVID. And so I'm like on the road, like four days a week from now through mid September. And I'm looking at my schedule right now. And I'm looking at like the limited time I have with my kids. I'm going, well, this was stupid. Don't do that again.
0: Right. (laughs) Tom, if, if you were to be able to instill something in your kids,
1: what would that be? I think the, the main thing, you know, there's so much I try to teach them and I'm realizing that words are pretty meaningless and that I have this saying to my son all the time, uh, actions speak louder than words. And it's, it actually is, is starting, I'm starting to realize that it is more toward, that's more of a mirror concept. And I'll explain, meaning that I'm learning that my kids are emulating more than they're listening. So I guess the, the main thing that I want to teach them, I really have to, to do myself, which is to be the best you can, because it's not about what you say you want to do it's what you're doing. Right. Um, and, and it really, and how do you judge that? How do you figure out what that is? And I think it's, it's paying attention to how you feel after you do something. If you do something nice for someone, it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. So keep doing that. If you do something mean, cause we're no, none of us are perfect. So you have a moment that's less than, how do you feel afterwards? Oh, you don't feel good. Well, don't do that again.
0: Right. Let's
1: pay attention. Right. Actions speak louder than words, but this is something I'm still learning at 42. So, um, I think I, I think I want to instill that in them that, you know, it's important what we do. It's important what we say also, but it's also important what we do.
0: Right. Right. Great advice. And also just, if we're going to get right down to brass tacks, it's simple, you know, And the simple, it's like, you know, that old expression in acting less is more. Right. And at the same time, our life is the same thing. If you could just step back, simplify it, just whether it's an action, kindness, love, and love is in so many forms, right? Just saying and praising somebody for something well that they've done simple, but the rest of the world helps clog all that up and mess it up sometimes. And, And you said it best we're human. We make mistakes, but but show it. I love it, man. Great advice. My, my,
1: uh, my daughter had this awesome moment at summer camp just recently. Um, and this is like something where I'm like, I couldn't even imagine. I don't even think I would have done the same thing, but it just, this will, this will warm your heart. So they were choosing names at random and then whoever's name got chosen. There's like two kids per day. They would get this like big cheese necklace or little cheese necklace and they would help be in charge of certain things during the, the camp day. Mm-hmm. So my daughter got chosen a second time to be the little cheese. She's six. So she says, oh, that's okay. She takes off the necklace. I already got chosen once before, oh. but Ella, but her friend Ella hadn't been chosen here. I want to give this to my friend instead.
0: Oh,
1: that's- and I was like, What? That's big cheese stuff right there. Right? (laughs) So the the camp counselors recognized her generosity. And then they were like, when she left, they gave her another necklace to take home just to be like, hey, that was really cool that you did that. And then they told me the story. And I was like, oh, my gosh.
0: That's sweet. Well, that tells me right there. You all are doing something right.
1: Something. Despite, you know. despite all my mistakes, <laughs> something's getting through to my kids that's making them better than I am. Yes.
0: Well, you know, it, it takes a leader and you're the leader of the family and obviously you're doing the right things. So keep up the great work, brother. Um, going back to the music, where can everybody check out the new tune? And of course, all of the Thomasian uh, classics that you have out there.
1: Um, well, I mean, everything on social media is Tin Band, which is T-I-N-B-A-N-D-T-I-Tin Band, uh, mainly because my name, three first names is way too long for social media handles. I think when I first tried to join, there's way too many words to type, letters to <laughs> type anyway. Tin Band is just a better acronym. Uh, and then for for Spotify and things like that, you can just search Thomas Nicholas Band. I've got, you know... Like I said, working on my seventh album, so there's six other albums out there, a bunch of singles that I released during the uh, the lockdown <laughs> period of time. Uh, yeah. About nine of them, which is wait, just just goes to show we were locked down for way too dang long. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, there's so the new songs out there, and there's playing on some some radio stations. We're getting a little bit of airplay, which I don't even know. I guess people still listen to the radio. I don't know. Does anyone still listen? I, to
0: you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, it's like you go in the car. I've either got Pandora or Spotify or something else playing Apple. I don't know. Like, right. I didn't realize radio was still available.
1: Apparently it is. <laughs> Apparently it is. We've got at least four States, four stations that are playing the song that I've heard of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, you know, in, in our lives, like the, you know, this career path, of course, it can be very stressful. Um, and you know, I know that, you know, for me, there's, there's moments where, you know, as an artist, you know, we're never satisfied, right? I mean, I, maybe, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, I never feel completely satisfied. I'm happy with work that I've done and music I've created or, you know, shows that I've worked on, but it's really important to learn how to decompress. Do you have a way or something that you do like that is your sort of decompression from a very stressful environment or workload?
1: Um, I, am not, I'm not very good at that either. Uh, I kind of, when I'm when downtime, when I have downtime, I just find other ways to fill it with more creative stuff and sort of am constantly chasing that, that feeling. Um, but I would say the, the only time that I, that I do kind of let it all go and decompress is ironically when I play video games. I know this, uh, because it was the only thing that made me happy During the, you know, like anytime I'm planning something, planning a big event, planning a film, it's the only time when I I can only think about just the video game. I can't think about the 17 things on my to do list. Right. And uh, so even though, you know.
0: So sort of like allowing yourself to have blinders for a second and not not have to just let the mind race.
1: Right. So if I can focus on a game that I really like. And so my kids and I, that's like our our you know, the activity where they're going to get a hundred percent of me where I'm not going to like, I got, you know, I saw this great, uh, inspirational thing. I, I follow a lot of inspirational people on like social media to try to like add positive things into my feed when I'm scrolling endlessly, which I do way too often. Like we all do. Um, but it was something about the, the phone and what it means to hold your phone and talk to someone and what it says, And I, I, we're talking about action speaking louder than words. So this is just kind of dawning on me in this moment. Then I just, I don't know. I feel compelled to share this, that I realized I need to, I need to set my phone down when I'm talking to my kids. So they realize they're the most important thing in that moment. And, but I am saying that when we're playing video games, I can't have my phone because I'm holding the controller and we're doing something together. Mm -hmm. So at least there's that, those, those moments. And and we don't have phones at the dinner table. So, you know, we always have these moments, but just, I saw this video and we're talking about this decompression and I just thought, I don't know, I would just share that. Cause it does say, say a lot, like when we're standing around our friends or we put the phone on the table, when we're having dinner or drinks with a friend, it, it, it does say you're not it, the most important thing in this moment right. versus you just tuck that thing in my pocket and yeah. go, Hey, what's up?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. That's, that's seriously some deep stuff. Cause I think about that, that exact same thing with my kids, because I look at a restaurant and I'll see a, a family of three or, you know, two or three you know kids running around and the mom is like disciplining them or saying something while she's buried in the phone. <laughs> and it, maybe it's an important message. Maybe it's not, but like at the same time, but you just see that they're just, you know, you know, you've you, you you've seen the view. You walk into a cafe, everybody's on their phone. Um, but in that incidence, especially being a father, that hits home specifically. Um, yeah, why not put the phone well, down? I'm I am
1: i am 100 percent guilty of of doing that. And it was it was just eye-opening to see this message and kind of have it resonate and go, Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, I really need to like be more aware of this and do better and right. just do better actions.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I've been mentioned this before. My sponsor, Boys Town, uh, I was just in Nebraska. And one of the things that happened when the kids get there, um, because they've come from all over the place, you know, they've come from dysfunctional families. They've come from families they can't take care of them. They come from good families too. Like, but they just have kind of lost control of their their child. And there's just a very... Um, almost a science, a method to their educating. And one of the first things they do is they take all their devices away. And the you know, I was sitting at a group dinner with a bunch of boys um, and the, their 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 parent teachers that are there that live in the house with them. And, um, you know, great meal, great conversation. They teach these kids to engage, ask questions. Um, but you know, I asked them a question and I said, you know, you know, you know, what is something you like? What is something you don't like? And the thing that came up was they're like, well, I wish I had a phone. And I said, guess what, buddy? They didn't have those when I was your age <laughs> and we found things to do. And it was amazing. I said, the kid, the kids on stranger things don't seem to have a problem with it. And they were like, Oh yeah. They like, they uh, suddenly were like, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, of course, you know, it's, it's almost like withdrawals these kids go through when you, the devices are taken away. And I'm guilty too. No, my, I mean, my kids have my devices. Son,
1: my son is like, we're like, Hey, that's, we can look at his, his stats on his iPad. And we're like, Oh, that's too much screen time. And he just looks, looks at me and goes, well, you're on your phone all the time.
0: But I'm doing business serious stuff
1: like but you know guilty as charged yeah so yeah and uh and you know I, I want i want him to yeah i've got like again and then this just points right back at me he's emulating me so I, i'm here i am using words to be like don't do that but he's just emulating what he's seeing and and but i like i like the other stuff that he emulates he's following in my footsteps and you know pursuing an acting career i don't know if you saw that he was in the The latest M Night Shyamalan movie, Old. He's the main kid in
0: that. Oh, is that your son? I yeah, that's my son. That is a screwed up movie, first of all. But I love the movie because I love M Night's stuff. But boy, talk about squirming in my seat! But that's your son.
1: Yeah, he's only been allowed to see the first twenty five minutes of the movie, right? Until he becomes, or the youngest Trent uh, becomes Alex Wolf, and then I pulled him from the theater, and I remember. From one dad to another at the premiere in New York, M. Night came up to me at the premiere party. He goes, I saw when you left. That was a good moment to get him out of there.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's
1: as a dad. He appreciated what I was doing to protect, you know, my son not seeing his his creation on screen.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's really great. You know, um, that you do that. That's yeah, I would be, I'm the same way. Like, you know, uh, we have parental controls on everything. And of course, if there's a film or something that's not appropriate, we just don't watch it. We we try to Cause you know, I know I got kids running in and out or, or if it's, we go, look, it's going to be mom and dad's movie. You guys go, you know, can, you know, talk to your friends or whatever on, on uh, devices and whatnot. But, um, but that's really responsible of you, man. That speaks volumes. Kudos.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, it's also knowing your own kid. I mean, some kids could probably handle, you know, like crazier entertainment than others. It, it all depends on their personality. So th- there's no judgment from me saying like, Oh, well, depending on their age, cause every kid's different. Right. I just knew that he wouldn't react well to it. And I knew that even when we had the script and we were filming in the Dominican Republic, I pulled out like the middle pages and I was like, you can read to page 43 and then you can read after 87. He's like, when am I going to get the middle pages? I was like, mm, mm. when you're like 12.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Tom, all my guests take a ride in the Jacob Young time machine. So you fasten your seatbelt, get ready to go back in time and give some advice to Thomas at the same age as Kevin Myers was in American pie, the movie, what advice would you give yourself and to Kevin knowing everything that, you know, now?
1: Oh, uh, well, I mean, uh, like personally or business wise. <laughs> you choose, man. Uh, you know, one of the craziest things, but it's, it's a, it's a wild thing. Cause like, I'm a big believer that we go through the experiences that we go through for a reason. Um, so I guess I can give this advice and give the reason why I would give this advice, but I'm also, I can also see the positive effects that it had on me not following this advice. If that makes any sense, it does. So here, so we're, we're, we're going to the multiverse of, uh, (laughs) of our worlds, uh, not trying to change my current, uh, trajectory or this universe but yeah, I guess I would go back and I would um, advise myself to not steer away from advertising. Uh, and that's by means of, uh, of hiring a publicist. I was so overwhelmed by the success of Rookie of the Year when I was 13 that when I got American Pie, of course, I was excited to have a big studio movie, but I didn't want the the byproduct of fame again. So I steered away from advertising myself too much and thus put myself in a position where everyone else like kind of I felt like they were working more and I couldn't have the same opportunities because I hadn't advertised. Mm. Now, the positive side of that is it meant that I I because the film was so successful, it meant that I kind of like disappeared to a degree for a second. And I didn't get pigeonholed only being known as that character. And in my career, I've been able to play different roles outside of myself, Um, maybe more so than I've seen some of my peers do. Um, So there's a positive side to it. But I guess I guess that would be the advice I would give myself is to to not be not be scared of the byproduct of being good at your job.
0: I think that's human nature, though, right? To be a little bit nervous about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, we get these, especially, especially when we're like 12, 13 in those formative years, mm-hmm. you know, we have these like memories that we can't shake. Um, I still have them, man. I mean, like when being in, you, you've seen the, the movie, uh, hard day's night the, with the Beatles, the black and white one, of course when chased by rabid fans. Yeah. Like I had my, my Beatles moments. And they were terrifying.
0: Yeah, no, I can yeah. So. That's that's uh that's that's beautiful advice, man. And uh thank you for sharing that. The last question I have for you, Tom, uh my sponsor, Boys Town, they have a saying, they have a motto, and it's been around for a hundred years. And the story is is that Father Flanagan, when Boys Town was created, there they didn't have they would normally not take in kids with special needs because um, they just didn't have the money and they didn't have the equipment to do it because it was all nonprofit and he was raising money and there was just kids coming in in just mass amounts be- during the great depression. Um, but one kid came in and he, you know, he had braces on his legs and the boys would take turns carrying him to class, carrying him to sporting events, whatever activities they were doing. And father one day just asked one of the boys and said, Hey, isn't he heavy? He said, He, he ain't heavy, father. He's my brother. Meaning, in our lives, we've all had someone carry us. Who's carried you?
1: Uh, it's been my mom for sure, hands down. She, uh, you know, we came to Los Angeles in 86 for her to pursue her career, which is how she got the job in casting and why I had the opportunities to even experience being on a set. And then when I posed, you know, the, the idea that I was interested in pursuing it, she supported that. And then as things kind of took off, she took a supportive role in that and drove me to all my auditions and, you know, would leave her work to come be with me on set and really kind of put her aspirations on the back burner to support me. And to this day, she is like the go-to person that, that I know I can count on. She's the, the go-to person for watching my kids. She's the go-to person for, you know, anything work related for me. I mean, she technically works for my company and there's been no, no person that has carried more of my weight as you speak of than her.
0: That's beautiful, man. And beautiful that you guys have that close relationship and that, you know, that's, that is a true mom in so many ways to be able to, you know, you told just what you're saying. She had a career that she was pursuing and basically pause that for you. And that's beautiful. But you, you know, but you didn't, well, I mean, we, we all just heard it, but I just, you, you, you basically acknowledge that at a very young age. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was one of those things where in the in the early stages, I would pay for like the fun stuff. And mom was handling all the bills. But then, you know, we'd have moments where I mean, I remember like once our car got stolen and so we didn't have a ride. And I think I had just booked, you know, a commercial. And so I, you know, bought us a car that we couldn't otherwise afford. So I was able to be the man of the house because of of the career that I was pursuing and the things that I was achieving, uh, which gave me, you know, responsibility, but also like a good, a moment to like give back and, and, and be the man of the house because I was just being raised by just my mom. You know,
0: how was, how was that just being raised by your mom?
1: Uh, it was awesome. I mean, we have like, you know, like you've already kind of commented on, we have a great relationship. Um, and you know, it, it also, I think kind of gave me the proponent to be able to portray someone like Henry Rowan Gardner in Rookie of the Year because he had that single parent relationship right uh, which is one of the things that I think separates that film from some of the other you know baseball kids films around that era uh, is that mother son sort of relationship that's represented on screen between me and Amy Morton who played uh, played you know Mary Rogartner
0: yeah. Tom, I have to tell you, man, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast and, and amazing father, amazing career, great, amazing musician, singer, guys, make sure you get out there. Listen to Thomas's new tune, 1999. And man, I am wishing you continued success on the big, the small screens. You're part of cinematic history for millions and millions of fans around the world. And it's truly, it was a pleasure to have you
1: on dude thank you so much for having me please tell jason cook that i say hello
0: (laughs) i will (laughs) uh
1: that i and that no 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 hard feelings i don't remember him you know passing out on my floor if if he did (laughs) i probably passed out with him uh you know and um yeah i've all all the best to you man with your your new project that is just you know gotten I you said it's just like just got picked up or I, I don't know what if you're talking about it or if that was just for me, but I'm, I'm stoked for you and the things that, that you're going to do. And I really appreciate you having me uh, be on uh, Real Conversations with you, man.